Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today, Bundesliga football bloody Haaland. Dortmund prodigy grabs another brace and heats up title race. Italy, waterfall as Mazzari walks at Torino. La Liga, why Atletico are now the third best team in Madrid. Unhappy Mbappé in league earn. Plus, we get started early on the next Ronaldo v Messi controversy. All in this Toby football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, and thanks for joining us in our Tuesday Euro Bureau. We've got all the usual favourites. James Horncastle's here. Good day to you. <laughs> Alvaro Romeo. Hola. Uh, Julian Laurent. Bonjour. And Raphael Honigstein just jetted in from the Spanish capital. Woo! Hello. Hello there. Sorry we're a bit late. Uh, sorry in particular to you, Ahmed Iyerdi. When's this getting released? Not going to lie, lads, I've ruined my Tuesday morning train journey. I've had to listen to people on the tube. It, it, circumstances beyond our control, uh, Ahmed and other uh, listeners. Uh, there was an unexploded wartime bomb here in uh, London, Soho, and we got evacuated when we were trying to uh, lay this this down on Monday afternoon. But here it is now anyway. Hello. Uh, Tony Robertson <laughs> Tony Robertson wants to know Julian Laurent did you get did you get an invite to Neymar's birthday party yes of course like every year yeah oh yeah yeah the dress code was all white so it was there was but a lot of people go. there was a lot of people dressed in white uh-huh. between there was maybe 400 of us between 300 and 400 of us did you it actually was cool. go? It was cool. It was cool. It was in a nightclub in the 16th arrondissement in Paris, in the uh-huh. Palais Tokyo. Right. Quite, quite a posh place. Uh, right. You know, I've been a few times before. But Neymar took over. He had a little uh, speech just before midnight. What did he say? And then he, like, I mean, thanked everybody, but not the sponsors <laughs> that helped him. Usually he thanks the sponsors as well. Right. Like Red Bull, for example, where the one organized the last two parties. Uh-huh. This time it was just about... Uh, how happy he was, and everybody had turned up. I mean, everybody, I mean. There was no Thomas Tuchel, no Leonardo. At that time, no Kylian Mbappé. Mm-hmm. So now everybody turned up. But there was Juju, so, you know, it's cool. That is cool, Jules. Yeah. Oh, nice one. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Anything else we should know about what happened on the party? I mean, Wanda had a, the most revealing dress that she could have worn, but you, you would expect that from Wanda. You could basically pretty see every, everything. Wanda Icardi. Wanda Icardi. Wanda right. Nara, Wanda Icardi, indeed. Um, it was kind of a belt, was it? It was, yeah. I mean, it was just so open in the front. Like, it was, yeah. Right. But, but you know, it's... Uh, and then nothing else, really. It was okay. good. It was not too late. The players left at 1 a.m. and the party finished at 3. Right. And obviously they have a match on Tuesday night. So that was Sunday night and they had a match on Tuesday. So a lot of people at the club were not already very keen that the party was going on. But hey, it's Neymar and it's his party. So, you know, it's, very, it's a very important day for him. So. Brilliant. Jules, thank you for that. And uh, thank you, Tony Robertson, for your question. Let's get this party started uh, with the headlines from around Europe. Alvaro, what's making news in La Liga? Getafe being third. Okay. That's as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty impressive for yeah. a club that... Uh, promoted to La Liga again a couple of years ago, three years ago, if I am not mistaken. And uh, the method of this manager, who is uh, basically, as they call him, Simeone number two, is uh, impressing everybody. And he's ahead of Simeone number one, because Atleti are down in, what, sixth place right now? We hear about the... uh, They are six now, yeah. After their defeat in the derby, which you'll be telling us all about very shortly. James in Italy. 
Well, we've got a third generation of Maldinis playing for AC Milan as uh, Daniel came on and made his debut in Serie A um, in stoppage time against Verona. We've got that controversy uh, which is still going on between Rocco Comiso, the Fiorentina owner, and Juventus after Juventus got two penalties, fairly, in my opinion, in the 3-0 win against this Fiorentina side at the weekend. And it's hard to choose what to go with next. Mazzari getting the sack at yeah, Torino. Yeah. We well, we're here all of them. Anyway. Gaucci. So Gaucci, anyway. of course, Luciano Gaucci. Yeah, passing well, away. Big, big uh, chat about Italian football later on in the show. Jules, well, we heard from you. Uh, Rafa, hang on, hang on. I had more things to say. Oh. The clash between Tuchel and Mbappé. That was huge. And, and, Neymar, the party, though. and Neymar being yellow carded for showboating. For showboating. And, and the reaction to that in France, a referee yeah, saying crazy. you're being too spectacular. Ridiculous. Tone it down. Yeah, 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 crazy. Yeah. It's a big, big debate. Back really, on. really looking forward to hearing about that as we are the latest from the Bundesliga with yet more drama at the top. Yes, uh, RB Leipzig losing their lead uh, thanks to a 2 2 draw uh, at home to Gladbach. But the real story was not one yellow card, but two yellow cards for Alessand Player. He was sent off for a double descent within a few seconds courtesy of this new directive that is supposed to crack down on all sorts of unsporting behaviour. Right. But it looked well over the top and it allowed Bayern to reclaim the top thanks to a 3-1 win away to Mainz. OK, Rafa, I want to hear more about that. So up next, let's talk Bundesliga. The ball is still in Leipzig, still with Kunku. Kunku shoots him out of the corner! Tor! so zwei Meter versetzt, einfach mal den Herz fasst und mit rechts abzieht und dann ist der Ball rechts im Tor, knapp neben den Pfosten, schlägt das Ding ein. Jan Sommer ohne Chance, ohne Möglichkeit diesen Ball zu halten. Christopher Kunku there with his stunning last minute equalizer as Leipzig a battle back to take a point, a Borussia Mönchengladbach. Rafa, a lot of drama in that game, but as you say, a bit of a refereeing precedent that's caused a bit of controversy in the Bundesliga. Explain. A fair bit. This is Alessandro player complaining because a foul, well, it looked like a foul to him. It certainly looked like a foul to many neutrals. Wasn't given. He was dispossessed. Right. He turned around into the direction of the referee, sort of remonstrated without being overly aggressive or, as far as we know, saying any bad French words starting with P. But there is no real aggravation. But... Referee stops the game, shows him a yellow card, and then player just keeps going, making his gestures, you know, kind of waving away, saying this is ridiculous, this is ridiculous. So he shows him a second yellow, and he's sent off. This is 60, in the 61st minute. Gladbach were 2-1 up at the time. They'd already conceded a silly goal because Jan Sommer gave the ball away after catching it. They were in control of the game, nevertheless, at least still in the lead. And then, of course, everything changed, being one man down. And then they defended and defended and defended. And then, as you said, in the last minute, they conceded that goal. But But the amazing thing that the referee actually stopped the game to give this yellow card, which presumably Leipzig weren't happy with either. Well, Zabitzer wanted to play on and didn't understand why this game, why he couldn't just, you know, go and attack the goal. Right. Because the game was stopped, as you said, it looked to me a little bit as if they wanted to make an example of the player, at least Stieler. He doubled down afterwards saying, you know, this is unacceptable if you show disrespect you you have to expect to get punished he continued to do it you know what am I supposed to do I mean he he went in front of the microphones and really defended his decision and a lot of people must say back the general principle of it which was 
strengthened over the winter break when the German FA, together with the referees, said we will crack down on these sort of stuff mm. um, harder than before. But I still think there needs to be a measure of appropriateness between what's happened and the punishment. And it seemed to be out of kilter. Disproportionate. Disproportionate. Is it is it a regular thing that the referees go and explain their decisions to the media then after games? Yeah, I mean if they're really if they're really controversial and if they really are seen as as game changing or as somehow in need of an explanation, this one certainly was, then it's up to them. They can go and speak in a mix or they can't or they don't have to. But a lot of them to their credit do just in this case, I think it didn't really reflect so well on Stieler because he also managed to say, well, players should have taken it like a man when I showed him the first yellow, which, again, it's a bit dubious as a rationale mm. for why you should send somebody off then in such quick succession. And even some of the Leipzig players and officials afterwards said, you know what, this was probably a bit harsh, which does show that perhaps the decision was a little bit over the top. Okay. Well, Bayern benefit. Those two points dropped for Leipzig means that uh, the uh, Bavarians move into first place. They're one point clear of RB Leipzig. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Borussia Dortmund are both three points off the lead. Bayern with a 3-1 win at Mainz. That's put them top of the table for the first time since October. Is that right? Yeah, because it's been Leipzig and Gladbach um, mm. all the way until until last weekend. Bayern didn't play particularly well, but the game was won within half an hour, Having Bayern having scored three goals. Thiago, once again, phenomenal, wonderful solo effort. And Mulan Lewandowski, who have both been in very good form, adding the other two. That Lewandowski header, pow. Pow, but also no marking. So if oh. you don't mark Lewandowski in the box, then he will pow he will. one or two in. He's, that's his 150th goal for Bayern Munich. Yeah, and he's only behind uh, Gerd Müller and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge now. Wow. Who are still, as far as Müller's concerned, way ahead of him, but um, the fact that he's coming close to Rummenigge with, with far fewer games is, is quite remarkable. Okay. The bad news of this uh, last few days is that Ivan Perisic picked up an ankle injury, which will rule them out, uh, certainly for the first leg against Chelsea, probably in the second one as well. Um, considering that Kingsley Coman is not fully fit and hasn't, played yet since the winter break that is a bit of a blow buying a little bit light on those wide positions but and nevertheless Gnabry is, Gnabry is, is okay um, bench, right? yeah he had a bit of a Achilles problem over the winter break and has been used sparingly but he should be he should be fine and on Saturday it's Bayern RB Leipzig yeah so first fee second oh, it's man. so big and it feels as if it's bigger for Leipzig than Bayern because if Bayern were to win that and at home you have to favour them, it would be four points between them and Leipzig. And I'm sensing there's a bit of nervousness creeping into Leipzig. If you look at how Nagelsmann reacted last week, we talked about that, because they know that this is a chance that might not come around that quickly again. Yes, Leipzig will strengthen. Yes, Leipzig will improve. They are run in a way that will keep them competitive and contenders for years to come. But this is a season where Bayern started very poorly, 40 points at the winter break. Dortmund have started even worse. Uh, and Leipzig, if they were to lose this, I think would lose a lot of momentum that they've been able to, to build up before. We'll talk about Dortmund and uh, Erling Haaland uh, very shortly. But Richard Brown says, Do you, Raphael, expect to see Flick, Ten Hag, Tuchel or somebody else in charge of Bayern at the start of next season? Who's your money on? I wouldn't put any money on it, but Flick... 
has put himself in a position where he's now being considered a viable contender to keep the job beyond uh, the end of the season. A lot of it will hinge on their performance in the Champions League. If they were to get knocked out by Chelsea or if they were to shown up by whoever they come up against in the next round, that would still create maybe a bit of doubt in the bosses' minds whether he is the right guy. But so far, Bayern's results and the performances have been very strong. This is six wins in a row now in the league. Mm. The two games that they have lost against Leverkusen and Gladbach were freak results because they completely dominated both games. So it could have been eight. It's nearly perfect as far as the results are concerned. And certainly the football has been very, very good. Maybe the best football we have seen since a certain Pep Guardiola uh, left. So you can understand why there is now, I think, increasingly... A, a groundswell of opinion, if you will, inside the club that goes towards giving giving Flick the job full-time. They've never scored this many goals at this point in the Bundesliga season, Bayern. 57 in 20 matches. Obviously, not all of those have come under Hansi Flick, but quite a few of them. Quite a few, but not as many as Dortmund have scored in the last three. Well, yeah. How many, Rafa? 15. Another, five every time. Another five-goal haul this weekend. Dortmund, as they move up into third place, this time Union, Union Berlin were the, uh, the victims. And yes, Erling Haaland did it again. Typical teenager gets a new brace every week. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Union. Union. That's, the, Union. that's them. Yes, but slightly disappointing oh. as far as his output is concerned because he got a full 77 minutes this time from the start and still only two goals. Can you call 77 minutes full? He got 77 minutes anyway. By comparison to his yes, uh, first true. two games, which uh, he came off as a sub and played less than a half in each. Right. That is that is quite concerning. I see. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's remarkable. Can you think of any precedent? I mean, we asked this question last week and now his start has got even more incredible. Can you think of any <laughs> Well, someone did precedent? write in that Rooney scored three goals in the Champions League on his debut for Man yeah, United, but, which is yeah, something that... But it's his debut and yeah. then the game after and yeah. then the game after that and then again. Isn't it um, true that he, in 2020, on his own, he scored more goals than 15 of the Bundesliga teams <laughs> in 2020, who haven't scored I, seven yet in yeah, 2020? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, seven and three is, is, is something that most clubs would be happy with. But, I mean, the whole Dortmund team are, are a joy to be I don't, I don't care about Dortmund. I, I don't want to know anything about Dortmund. <laughs> so, um, they play some really good stuff. I mean, uh-huh. they still give away chances. Even Union had, had some opportunities. And it was interesting to see both Hakimi and Royce when they were substituted. They reacted very strongly with a bit of petulance, uh, which maybe suggests that the authority of Lucien Favre isn't quite as strong or, or secure as, as it should be after such a great start to 2020. But what, what I can say, Jules, is that if Dortmund attack with a sort of movement and, um, yeah, just brilliant play and we have to mention Jaden Sancho there who's been slightly overshadowed by what happened with, with Haaland but has actually been sensational scoring now again and becoming the first player under 20 to get 25 goals in the Bundesliga an unbelievable achievement really if you think about it mm. but yet another sign of just how good Dortmund are in attack uh, and there's, there's so many options there's so much variety so much movement I think that PSG will do well to defend in that first leg. Of course, they're still favourites mm. over the two legs, but I think that first game in Dortmund will be very tricky. I've, Creeping I'm, closer, Jules. I don't, I'm not going to watch the first game. I'm away skiing, so 
you know, and the what? second game, I'm at Liverpool Atletico Madrid, so I won't be watching either. I don't care. Damn. I don't care about PSG. Yeah. I don't care about Dortmund. What? I don't, care about Sancho, don't believe any of that, Jules. You're going to be glued to a screen what PSG somewhere. PSG have on their side is that game management experience and then big knockouts. And <laughs> Sancho's got 12 goals and 12 assists uh, so far this season, which is crazy numbers. Yeah. Those worrying Haaland figures, seven goals in 136 minutes of Bundesliga action so far. Seven goals, 136 minutes. It's crazy. And, and what is crazy is that mm. he's still, by his own admission, not 100% fit. Right. What's so, what's not? Is he kind of a little bit uh, carrying a bit of weight or what? No, no, no. He looks yeah, he looks very shapely. No, the issue is a knee complaint. He, oh, right. he went into the winter break suffering from a slight knee complaint. That's why he didn't fully train. That's also the reason why Favre hasn't been playing him more regularly, mm. or at least as a starter until now. So he will only get better. Raul writes in and says, Will Haaland v Mbappé be Gen Z's Ronaldo v Messi rivalry? Great question, Raul. And it's one that will be very, very topical in a couple of weeks' time. What do you yeah. think, Jules? Yeah, I think it's, it's very possible that one is 19, the other one is 21. And, you know, it's the same gap that Messi and Ronaldo have as well. And you could easily see them two dominating football like Messi and Ronaldo have. I don't I mean, know if the, they will win as many Ballon d'Ors and stuff like that. Yeah, they are. I mean, Neymar, like they were, Pjanic, obviously. <laughs> like they were Sancho. for the Messi and Ronaldo generation as well. So, But they certainly look look very, very strong and above everybody else. I'm just yeah, not sure that either of them will actually play for Real Madrid and Barcelona, which oh, is part of the, the key. Whole, I want to say that, that is the key as well. Part of the narrative of the Messi and Ronaldo thing has been the teams they play for as well and uh, we shouldn't forget that when uh, Messi and Ronaldo played for Manchester United and uh, Barcelona there was not such a rivalry when are we going to see Odegaard uh, stepping up into that kind of category is his move is his loan spell going to uh, he can choose whether uh, returning to Real Madrid or not it's a little bit down to him uh, uh-huh. he can stay at Real Sociedad one more year and it will be all down to what happens with Luka Modric this summer, whether Luka Modric stays at Real Madrid or not. Uh-huh. If he doesn't, probably Edegard will return to Real Madrid. And if Real Sociedad qualifies for Champions League, it could be a good thing for him as well to stay one more year at the club. All right. Let's move on to a killing in the name of Mbappé and all the many stories from Ligue 1 after this. It seems as though Serie A is a bit of a dumping ground these days, doesn't it? Where all the Premier League's footballing flops are sent to get them off the wage bill. It's literally a weekly reminder for Man United of all their very expensive mistakes. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Mbappé qui est lancé, Mbappé qui est lancé, le crochet, voilà Le but de Kylian Mbappé, ça c'est du grand grand classique La sixième passe décisive cette saison de Neymar pour Kylian Mbappé Jules, title race is heating up in France. The title of most unhappy PSG star, that is. That is. Because you've got Kylian Mbappé, who looked, who had, had a mood. Yes, big And time. Uh, so did Neymar. Uh, should we start with Kylian Mbappé? What went on here? He was subbed off after 69 minutes when PSG were 5-0 up. 5. At the Parc des Princes against Montpellier. He scored already, mm. one. 
And, and he, he was, was subbed off, what, to give Icardi a bit of a run out? Yeah, Icardi and Cavani both came on, and Sarabia, who played really well and scored as well again, and Mbappe went off. And from as soon as his number went up, you could see on his face that he was clearly not happy. Clearly, he didn't know that was the plan, that he would only play 70 minutes. And I think when Tuchel, where Tuchel made a mistake, and I'm not, I'm not justifying what Mbappe did, but Mbappe would have walked past Tuchel, maybe tapped his hand or shook his hand, I don't know. But, but Tuchel stopped him to have a word. And he didn't need to do that in front of right. everybody, in front of the cameras, because as soon as he did that, you saw that Mbappe retaliated and there was that one minute exchange where he got really heated and there was there was clearly they, they put their hand in, in front of their mouth but you could you could tell there was something going on and if if I think if Tuchel let him go and sit on the bench as angry as he was and mm. then sort it out in the dressing room where no one can see it's much better than what he did there in front of everyone the optics were, were, were pretty bad from Tuchel's point of view it looked like he was very much uh, the one supplicating. Yes, the, the, you're right. Yeah. And, and he knows as well because this is not the first time, unfortunately, because I think it's a really bad habit from Mbappe. Uh, remember in the return fixture in Montpellier, he was mm. not happy to come off. Against Nantes, he was not happy to come off. In the Bruges game in the Champions League where he scored a hat-trick in half an hour, was not at the end he said, I wanted to show Tuchel that he cannot not play me. Right. And I think that sort of mentality, let's not forget he's, he's still only 21, it's just not, it's, I don't think it's the right thing to do. The big debate back home is like, was he right to react the way he did? And someone like Christophe Dugarry, for example, the, the former World Cup winner, said he was outraged to see Mbappe at 21 in front of the whole stadium, the whole team, the cameras and everything, responding like this to Tuchel. Mm. Uh, people said, if you, if you get the Mbappe point of view, Mbappe says, Tuchel thinks I'm, I'm like an under-19 player. Neymar is never taken off. Di Maria is never taken off, but he always takes me off. I don't understand why. And he says, PSG said that I'm like I'm a superstar. I'm they value me, and yet the manager keeps taking me off. Wow, it's it's not great, is it? It's it's a bit. Mine tense. goes back to when Frank Ribery threw a strop coming off uh, for for Bayern Munich, and everyone but it happens just everywhere. laughed in his face on the on, on the bench because, like Raf was saying, Adolman, Royce, and and Akim, and that's what Tuchel said after the game on Saturday. He said, "But it's not just us, you yeah. know. It didn't look good for us and for Mbappe and for me. Mm. But look at Dortmund. It's the same. Royce was not happy, and he, he hit a bottle or whatever. Hakimi was not happy. In every club, it's the same. Everybody wants to play every game and every minute of every game. One consistent thing here: Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> well, I'm not sure, but I just, he's only 21. Mm. What's going to happen at 25 if someone takes him off? Like, you know, it, Damn. but I also get his point that he wants to play and he says you know, Neymar, Mbappe, and Messi, Ronaldo. What, what does Tuchel that. say about this? So Tuchel didn't want to say what he said to him. He said, so that was Saturday evening and he said, we asked him what's going to happen tomorrow. They train at 11, they meet at 10 and he said, it depends how I sleep. Whether it will it will depend when I wake up if I'm going to talk, speak to him one on one, if I'm not going to say anything, or if I say something in front of the whole squad. Right. And it turned out that he slept well. He said, and woke up and had a word with Mbappe. Leonardo was was there as well, the sporting director. They kind of cleared the air. Mbappe didn't apologize, but he did he did admit that he overreacted yeah, to the substitution. This just looks rotten, does it? To what I, mean, I see, there are people already saying that this is. Mbappe laying the groundwork for a divorce come summer. I mean, the divorce between him and PSG or yeah. PSG and Tuchel? I mean, if he says to PSG, it's either me or Tuchel, right. it's an easy one. 
And I don't think he would say, and we asked Tuchel yesterday as well, and he said, I don't think this will have an impact. And that's what the club are briefing as well on his contract negotiation and signing a new deal or him leaving our Real Madrid. But there might be a point where if the tension keeps increasing between him and Tuchel, right. there might be a case where he said, I don't want to work under Tuchel anymore. So it's either him or me. And then the club will choose Mbappe every day. Nice that the club were able to celebrate this 5-0 win over Montpellier. Uh, <laughs> among the five goals, the pick had to be the third one, which was that own goal. Incredible. But it was amazing. It was, yeah, it was a, a, a pin, pinball thing. Mm-hmm. There you say pinball. A flipper in French, where Di Maria takes the, f- the corner and Savanier clears the ball on the head of Congre and then the ball goes in. <laughs> and then goal off the face of your teammate. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Love it, it was mm, yeah, Nice. Yeah. Uh, right. But, I mean, mm, oh. the, the, the thing about the 5 0 win, it was yep. a great win. They played really well. It was overshadowed by the, the Tuchel Mbappe clash and, and also not by just the Neymar. That, the Neymar, right. Okay, so Neymar, set the scene for us. How did this unfold? It's the end of the first half. And on the near the touchline, Neymar does a rainbow flick. So if you don't know what a rainbow flick is, you you're you, listening to the wrong podcast. Lambretta. Well, no, but you put the ball between they between call it in Brazil. What do they call it? Lambretta. Do they? Yeah, that that one. Yeah. Well, Lambretta. Yeah. Oh, right. What do they call it in Italy? Sombrero. Eh? An arcobaleno. An arcobaleno. Yeah. Yeah. A rainbow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We say sole in French or. Yeah, this is basically where yeah. you flick the ball over your head with your mm-hmm. with your and over the head of the. In defender. German, we right. call it Scheiße was soll das? But you don't, though, do always. You, right? <laughs> right. What did you just say to our unsuspecting listeners? Yeah, you didn't say <laughs> that. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, anyway, George, he does so, his rainbow so, flick. He does his rainbow flick, and then the ball goes out of play at some point, like straight after, and then you could see the referee coming towards Neymar and saying something to Neymar and Neymar looks really like really puzzled if you look if you look at the video it looks really like what why are you what and the ref continues and Neymar's like what what and then you can read on Neymar's lips he's saying like I'm playing football and you're kind of telling me not to play football mm-hmm. so with the, the the way Neymar responded to the ref and that descent then the ref books him so the ref didn't actually sh- Book him for the for the rainbow flick, but right. booked him for the reaction of the ref saying to Neymar, "Stop showboating, stop doing that because you're going to wind them up." It's and an extraordinary thing for an official to I've never take seen it upon himself. Like to, this before. Yeah, and just to clarify, it wasn't five nil at this point, and the referee feels he's being, you know, he's taunting the opposition. Yeah, no. it was one nil. It was just and one he's nil, Neymar. Yeah. So so okay, the yellow card didn't come specifically for the showboating, but post game when it was revealed what had gone on, what's the reaction been in France? To the referee's attitude. So, so first there's halftime as well where they all come back into the tunnel and towards the dressing room and in there where you've got camera in France uh, for, the, for the broadcasters, Neymar says to the referee in Portuguese first, I'm trying to play football and you book me for playing football. To what the referee says to or the fourth referee says to him, can you please speak French? And then Neymar in French responds, speak French my ass to the referee throwing a bottle against the wall. And the whole debate is like, okay... So there's 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 either the there's the camp. How do you say speak French, my ass in French. Mon cul. Parle français, mon cul. Yeah. Oui. Uh, so it's either you're Sounds on okay. Neymar's side, like I am. Yeah. Where I think if you're good enough, I don't care what you do on the pitch. Yeah. It's an entertainment business. If you if you do a rainbow flick and you can actually 
pull it out, yeah. great on you. And if the defender clatters you, that's the price yeah, you pay. Yeah, and, and, and you know it. Sure. And you know it. And Neymar yeah. is not stupid. He knows that you know if he does those showboating, he's right. going to wind them up. Was the other side? He, just just a parenthesis there. Had he already not received a certain amount of kicking from the Montpellier players? Yes. So right. he was fouled nine times in that game, which is the most any player has received in France for the right, last okay. I don't know, seven years or something. Okay. So. Like 10 minutes in, for example, he nutmeg Andy Delors. Andy Delors, in the week, in the days before the game, had a really go at Neymar in the, in the media in France in an interview saying, oh, he's always showboating, he's always, he's always winding people up, you know, he shouldn't do that. Paredes, by the way, is even worse because he insults you and all of that. 10 minutes in, Delors comes towards Neymar and Neymar nutmegs him. And after the game, we asked Delors, said, so... You know, you met again with Neymar, and he goes, "Yeah, and I got nutmeg after ten minutes." So that was the funny side of it. But the other side of the debate um, is Neymar could say, "I fought Delors," and but Delors didn't win. Delors didn't win. Right? right, yeah. But the other side of the team, and I can understand that. I can understand that argument is you. You people think you should not humiliate your opponents. That's not why you, you. You're not on the pitch to do that. Well, you kind of are. <laughs> no. No, 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 but that's, this is not the game of football. Is not playing to humiliate the opposition. Okay. Can I, I mean, this is not my side. My side is with Neymar. Do do whatever you want. Yeah. I want you yeah, to yeah. do rainbow flicks and But there, there is this other view. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I am sorry, a thousand percent with Jules. I mean, in this thousand. case, because the same thing happened in Spain with Neymar mm-hmm. uh, in the Spanish Cup in 2015. And Barcelona was already beating Athletic de Bilbao, and in the last minute, Neymar did that exactly uh, to a defender called Bustinza, and the Athletic de Bilbao players got infuriated with, uh, with Neymar but it wasn't the referee this makes it even more outrageous because if it is a referee just telling him to stop with your talent and I think that there is some sort of respect um, to the supporters if a player like Neymar tries to entertain them yeah. and there is, a, there is a hard work in this because for Neymar to be able to do this he's been training a lot and I think that what I see here is a person who has worked very hard Exactly. Maybe, so maybe this is a very that, strange view, but, it seems but I that think the this referee. is a different mentality because I think in Spain there is actually a premium on humiliating the opposition. It's like this little bullfight thing. But for you me, know, you want to nice, really yeah. wind them up. But humiliating is as well uh, to to throw the ball out of the ground when you have uh, all the time in the world to play it to a teammate. That is a humiliation to the supporter as well. Self humiliation. <laughs> Um, right. But it seems that it, I think it depends really what the referee said. If the referee just told him, "Look, be careful," yes, something That's, might that happen was my to next you. Point. Okay. It seems that the ref said that to Neymar to protect him. By the sense, like if you keep winding him up, they're gonna kick Do the sh- out of you. What, what if he wants to score the best goal he has ever scored, and right. he manages to complete that action and score a goal? Mm. Then we will be. But clapping up and applauding him. But this is somewhere in midfield. No? Right. He's not going to score from there. Well, well you yeah, don't know. Yeah, no, he was on the touchline, almost no. on the touchline. But it was, he was unplayable on Saturday. And there's another incident where he's fouled towards the middle of the pitch. The ref gives the foul. Neymar takes the ball, plays the free kick very quickly to, to face the guy who just fouled him. Right. There's four steps o- There's four step overs. Right. And the poor Savanier threw her legs out and just get completely humiliated by the four step over there. And Neymar just wanted for the, the one, the guy that just kicked him, just went back to, hu- to not humiliate him, but to dribble past him yeah. in a one on one situation. It was incredible. It looked like it was, yeah. Excellent. Okay. Uh, elsewhere in League 1 this weekend, PSG's league got extended to 12 points because Marseille only drew in the big game with Palaisos' Bordeaux. Yeah, 42 years now. They're still waiting to win there. It's the longest. Marseille. Longest in French top flight history, I believe one of the longest surely in the big five leagues of one team not winning right. at a stadium. Yeah, very probably. Yeah, th- 35 games now. 
Right. They haven't won. I think the next the next one in France is 2029, 20, Strasbourg. But there were a whole bunch Paris. of them in this country relating to going to Man United, but all of a sudden they've seemed to yes, somehow. evaporated. <laughs> uh, yeah, 42 to, years now. Toulouse didn't lose. Yes. They drew at Amiens. Yes, nil nil. So, as you remember last week, we talked yep. about the, the, the ever longest uh, losing streak. Losing streak, that's mm-hmm. it, of 12 games by the uh, RC Paris in 33, 34, 1932, 1934. Right. Toulouse topped at 11 after that nil nil draw. Okay. This is a lot of giggling going on. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> 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 What is this? In 1933, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38. 1933, 34, I said. You're not focused, that's why. All right, as long as it wasn't the RC Paris. No. Oh, there we go. Russell Club Paris. Okay. So, it's a great team. But elsewhere, ooh, third place Rant had a quiet night on Friday in the Brittany Derby. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. They hold the choreography before the game and then they scored in the 95th and 97th minute. The Brittany Derby. Uh, Oh, 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 oops, you did it again. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so, yeah, this is the Breton derby. Yeah. Yeah. And it was them against Nantes. And it was 1 1 heading into the last 10 minutes, but just a ridiculous finale. It's incredible. Yeah, Nantes scored first to make it 2 1. And then 95th and 97th, Rennes scored two goals. The second one given offside. And then the VAR ruling for the goal. So the whole stadium had to wait a bit and then just exploded. It was quite incredible on, on Friday night. And Rennes doing really well and closing down a bit the gap with Marseille in second. Right. And because Lyon didn't win, for example, as well, they lost at Nice and, and Nantes got beaten. They were fourth before the before the weekend. So it looks like Rennes and, and Marseille at the moment are sort of edging away from the others. Okay. Rennes uh, with their best points total at this point of a French top flight season yeah. ever. And the 17-year-old prodigy Kamavinga, who was very lucky on the two non-goals, but was outstanding, I thought, in the game again and going from strength to strength. Brilliant. Okay. Up next, it's La Liga and that Madrid derby. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Karim Benzema scoring his first ever goal against Atletico at the Bernabeu. Well, he's been very good in the past against Atletico despite not scoring. Um, I remember that one of the best actions of Benzema in, in his Real Madrid stint was uh, three dribbles in the Champions League against Godin. Jimenez and Juanfran, possibly, in the Champions League. That was uh, replayed uh, all, all and all and all and all over again by Real Madrid TV. But yeah, the truth is that he has scored the 30% of the Real Madrid League goals this season, Karim Benzema. 13 goals in a Real Madrid derby that, uh, as we said last week, it was going to be a 1-0 or a 2-0 derby, no more than that, because none of the teams scored many goals. And on the other hand, they defend very well. So it was a really, really good game in which Atletico de Madrid proved that uh, they have some pride left, despite despite having so many players in the sidelines. I mean, the likes of Jiménez, Costa, Trippier, Joe Felix... Koke weren't there. And Morata going out in this game as well. Yes, and he may miss the first leg against Liverpool. I mean, there is an 80% chance that he will play that game in the Champions League. But of course, uh, this is another casualty for Diego Pablo Simeone. We don't know if Diego Costa is going to be ready for the game against Liverpool and probably Joao Felix neither. Incredible. Uh, 1-0, as you say, for Real Madrid. They've only conceded 13 goals after 22 league games, which is their best defensive record ever at this point of a season. What a huge contrast 
to the derby they played at the start of the season, hmm. which was 7-3 to Atleti. And everyone thought, everyone drew a lot of conclusions about what was going to happen to the two clubs, <laughs> how wrong we all were, because Real Madrid, the top of the table, Diego Simeone's Atleti now in sixth place. They've only scored one goal in their last five hmm. matches in all competitions, and Edinson Cavani stayed in Paris. What happened there? Yeah, well, uh, Jules, I'm sure that he will be able to chip in here. Uh, Cerezo, the uh, Atletico de Madrid president, Enrique Cerezo, said that uh, it was shameful uh, how some agents and relatives meddle in the transfer business. He said literally, we are not here to be robbed, referring to Edinson Cavani's agent, right. because apparently he wanted to get a good commission out of it. So that is what Atletico de Madrid president said. But that's not true, right? You know that. It's not true. The fact is that PSG wanted 20 million euros and Atleti only offered 15, then maybe 18 with bonuses. And PSG said, unless you give 20, we're never going to let him go. So Edinson Cavani's uh, agent was saying that uh, I'm not having my player pretty much out of uh, the team the whole month of January uh, because I want a commission. It's because I want him to have quality minutes at Atletico de Madrid. That's more or less what he said. All that said, Atletico de Madrid don't have uh, a lot of firepower up front and... Uh, for the Champions League first leg, it could be the scenario that Joe Felix and Diego Costa are not there yet, and it could be possible that Alvaro Morata doesn't play it either. In which case, wow. I don't know who will play there, probably Vitolo and Correa together, but none of them are strikers, which is a very complicated situation for them, obviously. Yeah, but, but I think Zidane deserves a lot of credit for yes. the win in the derby because he, he got his team wrong at the beginning because they played that 4-5-1 four, four, mm. formation that worked in the Super Cup but didn't really work on Saturday. And he changed at halftime, taking Tony Cruz, which kind of have happened to him often to be taken off after just 45 minutes. And, and Isco. And Isco as well. Mm-hmm. And even putting Lucas Vasquez and Vinicius and going back to the 4-3-3 three, three made a huge difference. And, and that, their second half was much better and, and I think they deserve to win. The, the, this uh, is something that is really remarkable. The many faces that really this Real Madrid generation has had and the many uh, styles that they have been able to master. Because uh, this Real Madrid team, a couple of years ago, when they won the Champions League, they weren't good defensively. And they had a very similar squad to, to mm, this one. true. Uh, perhaps with the, obviously the greatest exception of having Cristiano Ronaldo up front. And they knew that Cristiano was going to do the job and score 40 goals per season. And they knew that maybe they didn't, they didn't have to be so um, Cartesian when it came to defending. This time, they know that they cannot score as many goals. And Zinedine Zidane has made this team mm. a really good defensive superpower. If we're going to explain rainbow flicks, can you just outline what you mean by Cartesian? A Cartesian person is someone who is very devoted to the job they do. Okay. Yeah, right. tremendously. And like a Swiss clock. How do you say it? Oh, right, nice. Cartesiano. Cartesiano. <laughs> Cartesian in French. Yeah, you have that yeah. same expression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, interesting. I guess that in English you will say Cartesian. But no, Calvinist. Calvinist. Not yet. No, Calvinist no, no, is slightly different. different so, yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> but Stakanovist is one that, uh, that yeah, we, that we use that one as well. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but, but that's it's, it's different. Cartesian is more like having like a, a real care for every mm. single detail of the things you do and being really straight. Yeah, okay. Cartesian. Interesting. Second team in Madrid right now. It's not Atleti, is it? No, it's Getafe. Right. And they, unfortunately, for for Athletic de Bilbao, they beat them two 0 at San Mamés in a team. With a team, Getafe, that resembles what Atletico de Madrid was and what Athletic de Bilbao wants to be. Strong defensively and mm-hmm. uh, try to make the most of the few opportunities they create. It's unbelievable to see this Getafe team, which, by the way, they are playing against Ajax in the Europa League. And I believe that uh, they are going to give Ajax a really hard time. In the first half against Athletic de Bilbao, 
if you take the stopwatch and you put it on every time the game is in play, I'm sure that the, they played like 13, 14 minutes in the first half because Getafe stops the game all the time. Every time you're, the other team has the ball, they do plenty of tactical faults to the point that normally they get like seven or eight average yellow cards per game, uh, the Getafe players. But they've got a style and they've got a manager who has implemented it with many rejects that uh, weren't wanted by some other teams. They've got a president, um, Angel Torres, who works... Uh, very well the Spanish second tier and third tier. He knows many players in those categories and he brings the best of it to the Getafe team. That put all together with the manager like Bordalas who has never denied that he is there to get a better job in the future. Okay. Uh, well, it makes a, a hell of a, a cocktail. So they got into the Europa League last season. Yes. Uh, could they, They're now in the top four. Any? What are their odds on well, staying there? La, last season they finished they fifth. Have, yeah, they should yeah. have finished fourth, really, last yes, season. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I think that there is a chance for them to finish fourth because Sevilla doesn't look very convincing, and Atletico de Madrid either. Real Sociedad is beautiful to watch, but inconsistent. So... There is a place up for grabs there. I think that Getafe can make it. Yeah, it's a team that, as I said before, they played against Athletic de Bilbao the other day with a 39% possession. They did 19 faults, five yellow cards, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing this. I'm saying that the manager is maximizing his means, mm. and that is something really remarkable. Bordalas is a manager that, by the way, if you check his physical transformation over the last couple of years, is something funny to watch, because he was... A fat man with no beard in the past, and now he's got a goatee, he's very thin, but the thing is that the face looks totally different. It looks like someone who is running away from justice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Crikey. Crikey. Face off. Uh, yeah, nice. yeah, nice. So we've, um, we, we'll just fly through one or two of the other uh, stories. Obviously, Barcelona is one. They didn't buy a striker, but they did get a win. 2-1 uh, over Levante, and that fatty Messi... Uh, combo looks very very promising up top. Yes, unfortunately for Barcelona, January is over because they were trying to sign many strikers mm. and they didn't manage to sign any. The last one being Cedric Bacambu. Mm, they aborted the signing when uh, the player was flying to Barcelona. Oh. Yep, because Abidal called Bacambu when he was in his stop in Hong Kong on his way to Barcelona and told him, no, finally we're not going to sign uh, you. So, yeah, January is over. Barcelona has, uh, at the minute, 18 senior team players in the squad and they are going to play with them until well, until the end of the season unfortunately for them and yeah it was nice to see Ansu Fati scoring a brace uh, Barcelona played again with a 4-3-3 formation uh, which is something that they've been doing for the last 20 years until Kike Setien uh, tried to implement a 3-5-2 system in the last couple of games and they got uh, one of these victories that explains a little bit what Barcelona has been this season they are capable of doing 20-25 very good minutes, and then they lose control of the game, and uh, they lose focus, and Levante uh, was close to draw the game, because uh, in the aggregate, they had a couple of uh, good approaches to Mark andre Ter, Ter Stegen's goal. Right. Okay. Both goals for Barca coming from uh, 17-year-old Fatty, both of them set up by Leo Messi. Quick word on the yellow submarines, Villarreal, who had a 3-1 win over Osasuna. Paco Alcacer, who they just signed, uh, with club record signing from hmm. Borussia Dortmund, was on the was on the score sheet. Yes, as was Santi Cazorla. Yes, well, <laughs> Villarreal has done really well in the transfer market. Uh, Santi Cazorla is a player that nobody expected to be mm, healthy again, or at least uh, available to play football, and uh, he's been pivotal to this Villarreal team to the point that. Uh, 
I wouldn't be surprised if he starts for Spain in the Euro. Okay. Yeah. And then Paco Alcácer is a very clever signing by Villarreal because they needed a striker. And he's a player who is from the area, by the way. He's from Valencia. And he has scored plenty of goals when he has been given the chance. I don't know his fitness, maybe uh, Rafael Cantelas, but uh, he seemed to be sharp and he seemed to be really well adapted to Villarreal from the first day. Well, fitness has been an issue for him at Dortmund. Um, mm -hmm. When he initially came, they were saying maybe at Barcelona they don't train properly, maybe that's the issue, you know, once he gets going for us, it'll be, it'll be better. But he's never been consistently fit over many months. There's always been setbacks and little little niggly problems. Uh, recently, though, I think he just looked completely like a guy who just didn't want to be there. He was sort of by himself, very much sort of trying to, to get away, to escape Dortmund, and I'm sure he'll be mentally in a much better place being back in Spain again. Villarreal is one of those teams, uh, James, that uh, could make it to Europe yeah. this season. Last year, they were fighting to avoid relegation, and they decided to sign Raúl Albiol. Maybe he's not the best defender, but at the same time, he brought experience to the squad. All together with Pau, uh, the young central defender, they have uh, created a really good society in there, and uh, Villarreal has conceded 30 goals this season, which is not a lot if you compare it to last season. Okay, uh, they are currently five points outside the Champions League positions, but they won five of their last six. We'll conclude our look at the, the Spanish weekend, if we may, Alvaro, with word on the man sent off twice in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, that happened in the second division. It was Cristóbal Márquez of Fuenlabrada. Mm. Playing against Girona, he was sent off in the first place. He walked down the tunnel, but as the referee checked the action again in the VAR, he realised that... Uh, it was in a, a second yellow card. He overturned it. The player came back on the pitch. He kept having an argument with the, the other player. So he comes straight back on the pitch and he goes straight over and starts having a problem with Stuani. Yes, and uh, basically like, he came back incensed. I mean, he, he didn't think much. And uh, he, was given, uh, he was on a second yellow card. And it, this is something pretty unprecedented, I will say. And yeah, same on the player, because at the end, uh, I believe that when Fuenlabrada ended up losing, and Stuani, by the way, scored the winning goal. <laughs> <laughs> incredible incredible all right still to come in today's show loads of great questions from you listener and italy you're listening to the totally football show with james richardson molto rapido molto veloce e preciso del centrocampista del napoli back dalla mezzo destra in era pagliarello al volo grandissimo gol di fabio pagliarella che non esulta ma i suoi gol contro il napoli Hey, now we, as I mentioned, uh, recording this unusually on a Tuesday mm. because of the unexploded bomb and that, which gave us the opportunity to, or gives us the opportunity to reference the terrific match which took place at the, the Marassi in, uh, in Genova on Monday night, Sampdoria Napoli. Yeah, 4-2 win for Napoli. Mm. The Gattuso cure continues to take San hold Gennaro. of exactly, the saint of uh, Naples. And we did get to see something that we haven't seen a lot this season, which was a, a wonder goal from Fabio Quagliarella. Wow. Because um, Quagliarella, a volley from just... Is he like 55 now or something? Outside the box. 38 well, something. remember he went on that incredible run last year where he scored in 11 straight games, matching the record established by Gabriel Battistuti, who was the top scorer uh, in the league last year. It hasn't really happened for him. Um, since Marco Giampaolo uh, left for Milan and was then sacked by Milan. Um, and Samp have struggled for goals generally, but yeah, certainly one for the uh, highlight reel, which is already 
uh, plentiful. And uh, he always scores these kind of goals against his hometown club, uh, Napoli. I think we've done a... Uh, did we do a Galazzo on his story? We did story. do a Galazzo on the and incredible Quagliarella story. Yeah. Background in Naples and the stalker. But um, to go back to Napoli, um, yeah, it does look like they are finally getting the results that some of their performances earlier on uh, under Gattuso um, deserved. Um, Two straight wins in the league. They've beaten Juventus and yeah. Sampdoria and they knocked uh, Lazio, high-flying Lazio, out of the cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, Mertens uh, back in the team, back on the, the score sheet as well. Good goal. And be. you can tell, uh, you know, I think one of our concerns about Napoli after the January transfer window was that this team is going to be moved on. It's going to be broken up. Uh, they feel it's an end of a cycle. Um, they've already signed a number of players with next season in mind. And this is what the final three or four months, uh, some of these players, be it Mertens, be it uh, Koulibaly, you know, there's always a doubt whether knowing that they will deliver and give their best between now and the end of the season. But certainly I think Gattuso has got them all on message. And, uh, you know, perhaps they can get back into the the hunt for Europe, certainly. But Champions League, I think, is going to be very complicated because already it's very stratified. You've got Juventus, Inter and Lazio miles out in front of everyone else, then 10 points between Lazio and the two teams that are duking it out for fourth, uh, which is Atalanta uh, and Roma. Um, and if you look at Napoli in terms of Europa League, what they're on 30 points and they're only two points behind Cagliari yeah. and Parma in that final six spot. So yep. it could happen. Could happen. They move back into the top half of the table. Anyway, just in 10th place. Up top, uh, Juve remains three points clear of Inter. Juve, as you mentioned back at the start, with that 3-0 victory in one of the classic Italian grudge games over Fiorentina. Two of the goals, though, proved very un- un- unsettling for Fiorentina's new American owner. Yeah, who um, went on Italian TV, every channel that has the rights to football, then went through the mix zone. <laughs> And basically found any kind of reporter, anyone who was willing to kind of, I don't know, be interviewed. And he let him let everyone know that he was disgusted, um, that Juventus are already a very good team. Um, they don't need help from referees. And I think conflating um, some of the decisions that have gone against uh, Fiorentina, not only in this game, but other recent games, conflating them with Juventus right. and the system, um, I think was very incendiary. And certainly prompted a very swift response from Juventus, who sent out Pavel Nedved, <laughs> the vice president, to talk about this um, immediately afterwards. Is that who... Pavel Nedved or Pavel Nedved? Because his son's also Pavel Nedved. Ah, right? Pavel Nedved Jr., right. you mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was Pavel. Um, okay. Pavel Sr. came out and recommended that uh, maybe Rocco put the kettle on. Right. And pour himself a cup of tea. Did he say that? And cool down before coming out in front of the media. Well, it's probably wise. And then, then, then Rocco said, I don't talk to Nedved. I'm the president. I talk to other presidents. I talk to so Agnelli. I mean, come yeah, on. So, you know, you, you go and have a cup of tea. Um, yeah. And and then there was the Panchina d'Oro award, yes. the, which is the golden bench for the coach of the year at Covacciano yesterday. Giampiero Gasparini of Atalanta won it, deservedly so. And Comiso decided to go because there was an opportunity to meet the president of the Italian Football Federation mm. and make his voice heard there. And he just doubled down, essentially. Oh, wow. Not backing down, even though if you look at those decisions that did go against Fiorentina right. in that game, certainly the first one, yeah. Stonewall penalty. Yeah. And the second one... It's a bit more debatable, but it wouldn't have changed. Anything. You've seen him given. Yeah. yeah. But as they say in Brazil, quem não chora não mama. 
who doesn't cry doesn't get a suck on the bottle or on the teeth. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, but I think this is Fiorentina raising their voice um, not only about uh, this refereeing decision or these refereeing decisions. It's yeah, you know, they don't want to be seen to be pushed around by these big clubs in the league. Um, there's a certain sense that there's a lot of foreign ownership coming into Italy mm. and that the old established clubs maybe see that as a bit of a threat. Ooh. But there's so. a way, I guess there's a way in the context to do it. And Comiso, is, this is all new to him, right? He, he, owns, he owns the New York Cosmos, but they're playing a pub league in the US. But this is fair, like... He's actually entered in, in, entirely into the Italian <laughs> milieu. This is, this is classic. You know, you mentioned Gaucci, who passed on mm. last week. This, this is entirely the kind of thing he would yeah, be doing. Yeah, but learning in the sense that of not doing that thing because that's not helping either him or Fiorentina either. Well, the, I guess that's one of the questions. Is that what you had to do to help your team? Is that well, the game you had to play? I think there is a game behind the, the game. The game behind that the game. That was 15 years ago, though. You know. No, no, I'm not talking about yeah, yeah, no, that. No, 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 but, but I'm, I'm saying that in terms of political and positioning yourself, mm. you, you, you can't allow yourself to be seen as a pushover. Yeah, no, and no, I, think I get that's that. But you can lobby Fiorentina, in a different way yeah. than just doing but every interview by saying, like, for example, oh, when you, they were but, better than but, your but team. But I think that yeah. the perception is that Comiso's playing as much to the, the, the supporters as he is to the federation. Yes, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah, because um, if I'm not mistaken, um, when he first came onto the scene as a potential buyer of an Italian club. Uh, much was made of his background as a Juventus fan. And I don't think he's had to disavow any of that. But certainly, he has fully bought into being Mr. Fiorentina, standing up, representing Florentines. It's one of the reasons why um, that ownership group, both him and his chief executive job, are so popular in Florence at the mm. moment because they seem to be really standing up for themselves and that that club. All right, James, let's rattle through one or two other stories. Inter started their brand new signing, uh, Christian Eriksen, also Victor Moses and Ashley Young in their 2-0 win away at Udinese. Alexis Sanchez came on as well, won a penalty, but two goals for Romelu Lukaku, I guess, is the headline once again. Yeah, complicated game uh, for Inter this because they were missing his strike partner, Lautaro Martinez. Suspended. suspended. Mm. Brozovic wasn't entirely fit, so started the game on the bench. So it had a new feel to it, this Inter side, because they had Young and Moses on on the wings and they had a midfield with Barella and Vecino um, playing in front of that back three and then Eriksen pushed forward. And how did Eriksen get on? I don't think he affected the game as much as they would have wanted to. Conte afterwards was saying this is entirely normal. He's only done four training sessions. It's a new system for him, even though he's played sort of, you know, every now and again, Spurs played with a back three with him pushed up during his time in the Premier League. I think it's going to take time. I think Lukaku completely changed that game, which had been going against Inter. It looked like it's going to be very, very difficult for them to, to get a win. And what a finish uh, from him to put it through Neutink's legs and beat Juan Musso. And then Alexis came on and made a real difference. He'd been very disappointing in the cup in midweek. Um, and those two changes that Conte made, bringing Brozovic on and Alexis, helped them win that game. So the depth that Conte claimed he didn't have in the past, now he does. Brilliant. Nice for them to get a victory. Do you, do you think Sensi Barella and Eriksen can all play together? And play well together. Or it's just I think two, in certain, four, two of those three in the in, in certain games they can, um, certain stages of games they can. I think he would like to have a bit of more ballast in midfield. Yeah. And also I think Brozovic is the one player who, if fit, will always play. So then you play two of the three, yeah. two of Barrella and Yeah, or or we might see I mean it, it depends 
um, whether who they give a rest to, yeah, yeah. be it Lautaro or Lukaku, but now they have the option to play a Sanchez and Eriksen or a Sensi yes. off yeah, a striker. A bit, a bit higher on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. James, we saw the enthusiastic uh, reception that Eriksen received by, by some of the Inter fans. Just wondering, is there any sense or any criticism of this policy being a little bit short term. I understand that Conte wants to win now and that's why he wants his experienced guys. But there is a season after that and a season after that. What will they do with all these players? Well, I think uh, he felt the squad as a whole was lacking in experience. Um, I mean, even it's a though, really young team I mean, by Italian standards. That is, even yeah. this weekend there was a yeah, young... I mean, he started this game, for example, Lautaro was out. Lautaro's 23. Right. He started with Sebastiano Esposito up front, who's, who's a teenager. 17. He's a 17-year-old. Lukaku's young by Italian standards. Um, Sensi Barella, mm. both in their early 20s. Um, Skriniar in his early 20s as well. The fella at the back, what's his name? Skriniar. No, De Vrij? No. no, the Italian one. Ah, Bastoni. Bastoni. Bastoni started in this game as well on the 21 International, who's a very good player and has um, forced Gadin really, to be out of, left out of the side. So I think there's actually quite a good blend. And if you look at the transfer window as a whole, you know, summer and winter, that team's got younger, I would say. I think in terms of paying $20 million now for a player that they could have got free in the summer, that's a debate that hasn't really been had because I think there's just this will in Italy to see a title race that they're prepared to overlook the business case for taking someone free when mm. maybe Ericsson can keep into in a title race between now and the end of the season and maybe, and the hope is, help them win the title for the first time in a decade. Who's their backup keeper? <laughs> Daniele Padelli. Right. Oh, but there's another one. Oh. That's the one you're meaning, isn't it? Well, no, because Handanovic is probably going to be out for the derby. Is that right? Yeah, so he um, has, um, I think, a microfracture of his pinky. Right, nice okay. little finger. I, I can sympathise. That yeah. must be terrible. Oh yes, and you do yeah. as well. Well, mine's not fractured. <laughs> Same so, yeah. uh, Okay, debilitating. But injury. I yeah. thought we were we were going to transition neatly from one filio d'arte okay. to another because guess who was on the bench for Inter at uh, the weekend? It was Deki Stankovic's son who really? plays in goal for really? Inter's under 19s Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Um, Nicely done then. Nicely but, done. But yeah, Handanovic potentially out, or almost certainly out, for the derby, which is coming up next weekend. Speaking of derby and their opponents there, Milan, the big news there is they had a nil-nil, sorry, a one-one draw with Hellas Verona mm. uh, this weekend. Was the player who came on in what the kind of ninety-second <laughs> minute? But this has been the big headline here. <laughs> Daniel Maldini. Daniel came Maldini. On. James. Yes. Yeah. yeah, eighteen years of age. Yeah, and you can look at it and say. You know, Paolo is, uh, his father is a technical director um, mm. at the club that, yeah, they've let a lot of these players go in the winter and not replace them. It was an opportunity, I suppose, to, for him to get in. But it doesn't always happen this way. You look at his, you look at Daniel's older brother, Christian, who also came through the youth ranks at Milan, but never made a first team appearance. Um, Christian, I think, has bounced around right. various different clubs. I think he was in Gibraltar. Wasn't the he last in Malta at one point? I think, yes, yeah. one of those. Whereas Daniel is not a defender, has been signed to a very good agent who's got a lot of the best young Italian talent. And kind of has been, I wouldn't say lighting up, because I think the premier talent at the moment is on the other side of the tracks. It's Esposito, who played um, the weekend uh, for Inter. 
but Maldini scored what ten goals in twenty five games for the Primavera last right. year. He's what, a, playing as a kind of number ten type. Playing as a number ten second striker. I think there's a, there's still a kind of realism about he's young. He doesn't really. We don't really know what his best position is yet. Mm. But he's certainly someone who is has been regularly scoring for for the youth team and has been part of the. The under-18s at Italy, uh, for Italy as well. So he's not a raccomandato, as right. they say. He's not, been, he's not got the... Not nepotism. Not, not nepotism. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, feel-good story around Milan going into uh, this weekend's derby. What about this feel-good story about Ralf Rangnick coming in as the new manager? <laughs> oh, really? Yes, well, I think this is very interesting because um, what I would say is uh, very indicative of this path that Milan are taking is if you look at what they did in the transfer window over January, they let Piontek go for money. They've let Suzo go in the hope that they will get money for him. They've let Caldara go back to Atalanta. They've let Pepe Reina go to Aston Villa mainly to get him off the wage bill. And they didn't really reinvest any of that money. And I think the reason is, is because there is, let's say, uncertainty as to who their manager will be. Well, let's say, Uncertainty whether it will be Stefano Pioli in the summer. And there is the expectation that there will be, obviously, a significant amount of input as to how that team is assembled and who comes in from a prospective new manager. So Milan have been very much keeping their powder dry, I would say. There have been these reports in Germany of contact between uh, the club and Ralf Raniuk, not only as a coach but as a uh, prospective sporting director. I believe he is someone who appeals strongly to the Elliott side of uh, the Milan operation. So I think that is a story um, to watch uh, between now and the end of the season. Okay. The other story we should mention is Torino, who after last week's 7-0 thrashing got done 4-0 at relegation strugglers Lecce this time around, at which point Urbano Cairo, the team's owner, Said Walter Mazzari, you're fired. Out. <laughs> Out. Yeah, What's well, happened to Torino? Well, they got into Europe, obviously, mm. um, last season. Uh, that was the stated objective of the club when they brought in Mazzari to replace Sinisa Mihailovic. They were a very solid team under under Mazzari until the start of this season. When well, there's a feeling that rain or what happened? Well <laughs> yeah. they entered the Europa League preliminaries, they came back, started the season very early. That was again part of uh, because Milan, remember, pulled out of competing in the Europa League. So there was it was a bit of a last minute preparation mm. for them. There's a sense that that caught up with them. Certainly that they weren't able to really get over that Wolves defeat. Um, they had Nicholas Nkulu, who decided um, I would like to leave in the final week of the summer transfer window, and was the told captain as well. I, I watched the game the other day. And was precisely, captain, yeah. and was told he wasn't going to be leaving. He sulked, and yeah, that kind of destabilized things a little bit. And yeah, just match, I think the other teams around them have got better as well. Torino's position isn't disastrous. Um, there's also been a lot of kind of discontent around the club, the fan base, not very happy with the brand of football that has been played. And when you lose 7-0, mm. you then go out of the cup 4-2 oh, yeah. and you lose 4-0 right. to a That's side that has course. not won at home yeah. in Serie A since 2012, um, <laughs> then I think the game is up. The jig is up. All right, well, it certainly is for Mazzari. 
Uh, Moreno Longo, uh, the man who brought Frodenoni up, is uh, taking yeah. over, I think. Is that right? Yeah, he's, uh, he won the Scudetto with Torino's under-19s. That's nice. Has been over here whilst being on gardening leave from Frosinone to learn some English. Okay. And uh, the other story, James, which will probably be something to talk about next week when we okay. come back, is that Roma will likely be under new ownership uh, with uh, the Friedkin Group currently. Oh, friends, James. Well, well, selling. Can I say? Well, yeah. and, and to what extent that uncertainty has had an impact on the team, who, in the words of their own manager, Paolo Fonseca, has the players have lost their heads. Just one win in five now for Roma. They were beaten 4 2 this weekend by a very lively looking Sassuolo. Mm. But, anyway, as you say, we can come back to that one next weekend. Uh, we'll be discussing all sorts of other things, a little bit of Turkish football for you, and some top, top questions from listeners in a moment or two. First, though, here's producer Charlie with Paddy Power. Hello listeners, producer Charlie here with the one and only Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, we've got a winter break in the Premier League, but some huge games next weekend across Europe, like Bayern v Leipzig, the top two in Germany. What's going to happen? Yeah, they're back on top of the standings, and just like last season on that big game against Dortmund, we're back in Bayern to come out on top here. They're 1-3 to to win the game after their winning streak. Leipzig, on the other hand, have been rather patchier. Turns out Red Bull gives you wings, but not necessarily wins. They're five to one to take the three points. The draw is nine to two, but it's not just a meeting of the division's top two teams. It's also a battle, of course, between the leading scorers. Robert Lewandowski is two to five favourite to win that battle over the course of the season, with Timo Werner seven to four to finish as top scorer in Germany. Erling Haaland, have to mention him, has been backed into eighty to one in the betting after another goal field weekend for him. He is remarkable. It's the Milan derby in Serie A. Will Zlatan dent Antonio Conte's title hopes? Yeah, this is how you do it, Inter. This is how you sign an old, past it, in inverted commas, Premier League player and make it work. Zlatan's done well since going there and will be among the favourites to score in this derby because, let's face it, that would be a classic Zlatan thing to do. That said, Inter probably have to win this game and we think they will. It's 10-11 to 11 they see off their city rivals with Milan 11-4 to 4 to get the win. The draw is 23-10. to 10. And not to depress anyone, but Juventus are now 1-3 to three to win Serie A, with Inter out to 4-1. to one. And there's a full midweek programme in Ligue 1. How about that Etienne v Marseille, Claude Puel versus AVB? Hmm, two very different managers. One's dreamy, the other sends you to sleep. But that's just my personal preferences. Our traders, though, are leaning in a similar direction. They make Marseille the favourites here. It's 7-5, to five. they continue their charge to be the best of the rest in Ligue 1. St Etienne, on the other hand, are towards the bottom of one of the most bloated middles I've seen since looking in the mirror this morning. Six points separate fourth from 15th. They're 15 to 8 to win. The draw is 21 to 10. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18's only terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Ooh, let's have a look in the post bag, Jules. Yes. This first one is for Avaro. Walter Ingborsen says, Alvaro, what's the goalkeeper situation now for Spain? Both Kepa and De Gea have had ho-hum seasons. Is anyone else in the frame? Well, it looked like uh, Kepa had the upper hand, especially after autumn. And his, uh, the fact that he, he didn't play against Leicester City, was it? Uh, the first time in his career that he doesn't play for a decision that uh, is based on sports performance right. and nothing contractual or no problems with Mauricio Sarri for uh, saying no to leaving the pitch. This is the first time that Kepa is facing something like this. I want to see how he recovers from this. It's more or less 
up for grabs who the Spanish goalkeeper is. Uh, De Gea and Kepa will fight for it until the end. It looked like that back in November. It still looks like that now. And I don't think that uh, Roma goalkeeper, Pau, uh, will be able to step up and take the place of De Gea and Kepa. I believe that he's going to be one of these guys. I would say that most likely Kepa, because De Gea was the goalkeeper of Spain 12 months ago, and Kepa little by little took over. Finally, a replacement for De Gea is a, a big, big question, of course. Moving along, that red-haired dude says the Turkish Super League has to be discussed. A recently promoted Sivaspor atop. The big three, Galatasaray, Fenerbahce and Besiktas, aren't in the top four. How do you see the league finishing up this season? Well, that's got to be one for you, Jules. Yeah, the top, Sivaspor, which is like uh, the red hair. What is, what is the Dude. Name? Dude, yeah, yeah, he's right. A big, big surprise. Yeah. Uh, the loss of the weekend to Gaziantep, 5-1, though, which was a big surprise. Mm. And the only two points clear of Basak Shehir in second place. And it's guess, tight, isn't it? And guess, guess who's playing who on Saturday. Oh, who's playing who on Saturday? Sivaspor and Basak Shehir. So wow. first against second on Saturday. But it's true that Fenerbahce, Galatasaray and Besiktas in the, the fifth, sixth and seventh are yeah, struggling so a bit. Fenerbahce are like, they're four points off the top. Galatasaray are five points back. Besiktas all the way down in eighth. But they've just picked up Kevin Prince Boating <laughs> from Fiorentina. Woo! Prince but, who moves every January. Yeah. Barca, yeah. And Besiktas... <laughs> <laughs> but, but the bad news this weekend was that John Obi-Mikel, the former uh, Chelsea midfielder, oh, yeah. was a uh, victim of racial abuse in the uh, Trabzonspor win against Fenerbahce. against Fenerbahce on Sunday or Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Night, yeah, yeah, Saturday night, which was a really bad one. And, and what did they, was there, did they suspend the game or what happened? No, no, I think the game went on. It finished with a red card for Luis Gustavo as well, the, uh, the former Bayern Munich and, mm. and Marseille uh, midfielder. And it was really bad. It was a toxic atmosphere. A really bad one uh, with the away fans there, and 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 uh, everybody has condemned the the incident. But it just uh, once again, like like in every league, it doesn't reflect good at all on on Fenerbahce and their fans, and also on the Turkish league in, in general. Right, Fenerbahce, you have Adil Rami and uh, former Newcastle man Emre uh, playing for them these days, uh, lining up for Trabzonspor. Daniel Sturridge, who'd been doing brilliantly for them yeah, just before the break. Now. Trabzonspor and they're only mm. three points behind Sivaspor so very much so as well in the title race for mm. Sturridge and, and Obi Mikel Right Mr Marco UK says how about you touch Porto Benfica this weekend well yeah, that, that will be played this coming weekend so how about we There's touch too much gap between the two though hmm. right. I think they're five points clear Benfica or six points clear before it was almost like the mm. one who wins this would win the league now even if Benfica lose this one right Sorry about that, Mr. Marker UK. I am not a piece of cake. That's a listener's handle name. Okay. Handle. Uh, Not handle name. That's a listener's handle. (laughs) Says, after years of being accused of being mostly one-horse races for league titles, how are the various European leagues, your Bundesliga, your Serie A, your League 1s, looking at Liverpool's ridiculous dominance in the EPL this season? With nothing but respect and admiration of that right. team, I think. What kind of answer was he expecting? Like, no, ah, a, no, we're not even... I think there's a degree of schadenfreude, certainly in, in Germany, about the fact that the Premier League, self-described most exciting league in the world, etc., etc., for a third time running is kind of a pre-gone conclusion. But it's not third time running, because last season it was really tight. No, yeah, the year before, the 100-point the year for City, okay, they yeah. were running away with yeah, the, okay. for, for the last two, two and a half years, all the possible records, not only of Premier League, but also the English top flight, 
they have been broken by Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. And when that happened in Spain with Mourinho and Guardiola in 2012, right. I heard people saying that Spain was a farmer's league and all that. Well, the same thing happened... In England, the Premier League is the Farmers League <laughs> now. Right. Yes, I'm not saying yeah, that. Yeah, that's what you just said. <laughs> not, not at all. That's what you just said. <laughs> Where does this expression "Farmers League" come from? Because you hear it. No one's ever. It's a social what, media. Who are thing. these farmers, yeah. and where do they play? Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. We in, should in, buy in, the rights. But, but the, oh. um, no, but of course, th- this is counterbalanced by the Klopp admiration, which is right, growing and growing in Germany. I think if he now, which I think is very likely gets Liverpool off the line after 30 years of hurt, it would only magnify his uh, status mm-hmm. as, um, yeah, as the most successful German manager abroad. It's for the record, I never say that the Premier League is a farmer's league. <laughs> That's what you just said. That's what you just said. I mean... But what is a farmer's yeah, league? It's okay. You can have your opinion. You can have your opinion. You can rewind, listener. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then know. Then know what you think. So, uh, well, there you go. That was uh, this weekend around the continent. Can't wait to hear what happens next time out. Uh, we'll be back uh, hopefully at the regular time, bright and early on Tuesday morning next week. So do join us for that. For now, many, many thanks to Alvaro Romeo, James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein and Julian Laurent. Thank you. And you, listener. Uh, have yourselves a great week and weekend. We'll catch you afterwards. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. listeners i'm caroline barker host of the totally football league show i'm joined each week by sam parkin say hello sam hi caroline by adrian clark say hello adrian hello and the bolton wanderers fan too not adrian but joe critty looking forward to league two yes <laughs> each week we go head first into the efl to bring you the latest from the pitches to the next crisis to whatever ian holloway has said now from leeds to luton sunderland to plymouth swindon to stevenage and everything in between if it's the EFL you want, we've got you covered, haven't we, Ollie? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> Your guess is as good as ours. That's the Totally Football League show out every Wednesday. In the most delightful way. It's brilliant. I just love it. Muddy Knees Media. <laughs>